Welcome to The Coin Club, a podcast brought to you by The Seven House Coins, Currency, Bullion, where we discuss everything related to numismatics. I'm glad to have you along with me for my journey and excited to share with you the very best of numismatics. friends and welcome back to the coin club podcast i know you missed me as the podcast was still getting many downloads over my time away and the emails asking where i've been thank you all for your continued support and concern i need a little creative break with everything going on in my life and now i'm back it feels great to be behind the mic again and bring you the content that you love We're strolling right along to episode 32 today, and I'm happy to have you back here with me to enjoy all the things we love about collecting and the hobby. The news while I was away has been on fire with lots of new discoveries and interesting things going on all over the hobby. You can't help but notice that the good old summer slowdown with coin collecting barely even happened this year. The Whitman show that I usually go to was very well attended this summer, as is the other major shows throughout the country. It's an exciting time to be in the hobby of kings. I hope you have your agenda ready for all the fall shows you want to attend and that long list of items to hunt for while you're out and about. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to cover what's going on in the world of news, give you some roll hunting tips and reminders, get that last country in South America on the World Coin Spotlight, and we're going to end it off with a look at the coin that holds the title for the lowest face value coin ever struck by the United States Mint, the half cent. Glad to have you along with me on this episode of the podcast, friends. And now, let's get on with the show. up there's going to be an important meeting of the minds just to our north the big players in the world of minting will hold a conference on october 15th to the 18th in canada to discuss the future of circulating coins collector coins and bullion there will be over 300 delegates attending from the international mint directors association numismatic news has a great article out there called is in god we trust obsolete It takes a dive into the motto that appears on U.S. coins and gives you an insight on how it got on our currency, why it's there, and the current hubbub about keeping it on or taking it off. Check it out on their website, numismaticnews.net. If you have a strong opinion one way or another, please send me a message and let me know. PCGS has their digital edition of the market report out for all you subscribers. The September-October 2023 edition features the 2023 Set Registry Award announcements, a conversation with U.S. Mint artist Alana Hagler, the YN section features friendships and half-dollars drive a passion for coins, the collector spotlight in this edition features Rebecca Heaton, and the coin of the issue is the magnificent 1845 gold proof set. 
you'll either want to step the pace up to get in on the PCGS quarterly grading special before it ends on September 30th of this month, or be on the lookout for their new specials coming up. Currently, you can submit four U.S. coins to their economy or regular service levels and get the fifth graded for free. Also available is a 10% discount on grading fees of any small size $500 and $1,000 Federal Reserve notes and gold certificates valued at $10,000 or less through their express service level. One of the U.S. coins that I really like is getting some spotlight in the news here recently. The Flying Eagle Scent is a magnificent design, and to the regular budget-minded collector, it can be a challenge to get one in a good grade if you're not willing to fork out the money for it. Well, if you're looking to stretch a little, or a lot, keep your eye on great collections. They're going to be auctioning off the late Stuart Blake collection, which includes Indian Scents, Flying Eagle Scents, and Barber Dimes throughout two different auctions in November. One ending November 12th and the other on the 19th. The highlights of the Flying Eagle Scents are all graded by PCGS and are as follows. An 1856 graded MS66, an 1857 graded MS66+, plus, and an 1858 over 7 graded MS65. Gorgeous coins for sure. We're on a tear here with PCGS news in this episode for whatever reason. If you're a collector of the Shield 5 Cent series, then you're going to be happy to hear this. Direct from their website, PCGS just recently started to recognize and attribute all of the 357 dye varieties in the Edward L. Fletchler Jr.'s 1994 book called the Shield 5 Cent Series, a comprehensive listing of known varieties along with 45 proof dye pairs called out in the John Denroyther's 2023 publication called United States Proof Coins Volume 2, Nickel. If you have a set of those in your collection, it's time to pull them out again and see what you got. The first step is to get those two books and start researching what varieties you may have and then send them in to get graded if you so choose. Heritage Auctions will be holding an October 9th auction, Modern Collectibles U.S. Coin and Bullion Showcase Auction. A lot of the bullion coins will be on the block, as well as modern commems, an air coin, tokens and medals, world coins, half dollars, and a few others to catch your fancy. Check it out on coins.ha.com. The United States Mint is once again asking for your opinion on some very important upcoming products that will be released. Remember, you can't complain, or rather you shouldn't, unless you're offering up those opinions. Be part of the process. They're actually encouraging it. They're asking for our opinions on the 2026 circulating coin design themes. These important designs could be featured for the 250th anniversary of the United States, and you could have a part in that if you take the survey. There are some very important topics that are covered in this survey featuring milestones in the history of the United States. I don't often ask you for much on the podcast, but I'm asking you to take this survey. Get on their website, usmint.gov, and it's right there when you log on. Let's join the rest of the World Mint in putting historical events on our coins and get this ball rolling. It's up to us to make our coinage more interesting and relevant to the times.
Okay, all you roll hunting junkies, we're back with a list of nickels to keep your eyes out for. Some of these you might be able to find in change, and some of them you're going to have to keep your eyes out for when you're attending shows or visiting your favorite local coin store. The first one on the list is a date that many of us just toss aside, 1964. With over one billion minted at the Denver and Philly mints, there is bound to be something to be on the lookout for. <laughs> and there is. There's a brockage error ahead on the obverse and the reverse. These errors bring big money, so you want to dig deep into your pockets if you want to buy one. Why not find one if you can? Have you ever looked at a mint mark over the years where they were hand-punched into the dies and thought, this one looks a little off? Well, number two on the list is exactly that, a 1975D misplaced mint mark. The D mint mark is to the left of the five on the date. Pretty obvious to the naked eye that there's something going on with this one. Number three is one you're likely not going to find in pocket change. It comes from the year 1939. It is a double die coin, and you're going to find the doubling on the reverse. Check out Monticello and Five Cents. It's a really cool piece to have if you like collecting double die coins. Number four is a wrong planchet error to be on the lookout for. In 1974, the Denver Mint let one slip through when they struck a Jefferson nickel on a one cent planchet. The last one on our list today is a real modern one to look out for. You can find this one in change. Old Jefferson looks like he's smoking a cigar. It is a strike through error and very evident on the obverse of the coin. Well, friends, I hope while you're hunting through the nickels, you find yourself one of these above, or at the very least, a Silver War nickel. Happy hunting, friends. down to Argentina on this episode, a land of intrigue and great coins to collect. The capital and largest city of Argentina is Buenos Aires. It has a population of just over 46 million people and is the second largest country in South America with 2,780,400 square kilometers. It shares borders with many countries, Chile to the west, Bolivia and Paraguay to the north, Brazil to the northeast, Uruguay, and the South Atlantic Ocean to the east. Argentina declared their independence from Spain on July 9, 1816. It was a powerhouse of economic proportion in the world back in its day, even surpassing the U.S. in GDP for a time. Political instability rocked the region during the dirty war of state terrorism where an estimated 15 to 30,000 Argentine citizens were murdered or disappeared for their opposing government views. It has a very large agricultural sector where it is ranked one of the five largest producers in the world of soybeans, corn, sunflower seed, lemons, and pears, believe it or not. If you take the time to visit Argentina, and you should, Get yourself a nice big steak as their beef is some of the best in the world. 
while you're waiting for that Bifida Ojo to come out, ask for a ham and cheese empanada for a starter. You won't regret it. Oh, and one last thing. Use that chimichurri on both of them. Delicious. When it comes to the coins, the Argentine peso is the official currency of the country. Prior to 1826, the word peso was used to describe the silver Spanish eight real. After the country declared independence from Spain, they created their own money, which included reales, souls, and escudos. Officially, in 1875, the Casa de Moneda de la Nación was established, which created two mints. One was located in Buenos Aires and the other in Salta. The first mint was officially opened on February 14, 1881, and coin production began. The first director was Eduardo Castilla. In its first year, it not only was minting coinage for the country, it started to mint metals. 1886 saw the addition of printing tax stamps and state stationery, and in 1899 they were tasked with printing banknotes, as well as helping Paraguay with minting of their pesos. From 1908 to 1998, the mint also printed postage stamps. The first Casa de Moneda building was actually built between 1611 and 1613, believe it or not. It was occupied by Hospital de Rey and many other entities until the time the mint moved in. They occupied this building until 1914. By 1910, this facility was already maxed out, and a new annex of the Casa de Moneda was built on an adjacent piece of land, which operated from 1914 to 1944. The third and present mint building was opened on December 27, 1944, and covers an area of 40,913 square meters, and is a four-story building. The coin we're going to feature today would have been made in the first building from 1881 to 1884. It is a two and a half pesos or half Argentino gold coin. It is a stunning coin made on a planchet of 900 fine gold weighing in at 4.0322 grams and is 19 millimeters round. On the obverse of the coin, you see the great arms of Argentina, impressive in its own right, in the very center of the coin. Republica Argentina surrounds the top of the coin and the dates at the bottom. On the reverse of the coin, you see a gorgeous depiction of Lady Liberty with her flowing hair and facing to the right. The lettering that surrounds Liberty reads Libertad, two and a half pesos, half Argentino, and nine dos fino. The engraver, Eugene Andre Udin, has his last name appearing on the coin as well. In 1881, there were approximately nine of these coins minted, and in 1884, there were 421. It was in use up until January 1st, 1896, when it was demonetized. Thanks for coming along with me on our visit to the last country in South America. Where should we go next, friends? Europe? Asia? Africa? Let me know. Actually, the smallest in face value is what we're going to be talking about here on the Coin Club podcast today, the United States half cents. 
The half cent was first minted way back in 1793 and had its run up until 1857. The birth of this coin happened with the Coinage Act of 1792, which was a pretty important milestone in our country. It established the mint and provided groundwork for regulating our coinage. Our old buddy G.W., George Washington, he took out his pen on May 8, 1792, and signed the act to provide for copper coinage. Our half cent was essentially introduced with this pen stroke, as it gave authority to the director of the mint to contract and purchase no more than 150 tons of copper to get the ball rolling on the half cents, as well as the cent. The purchase of the copper would be the first step. The minting of the coins directly paid to the treasury, the second, and then the release to the public, the third. An important part of this agreement to point out is that it is mandated the copper coins that were already used in commerce to pay for goods and services were no longer allowed to be used. The newly minted half cents and one cents were the only copper coinage allowed to be used in the United States. Now, you're saying to yourself, Tone, there were a ton of circulating foreign copper going about at the time, because what else are you going to use? Well, you're correct, and the government provided for this as well. They wanted our coinage to be the only coinage accepted. They set in place that if you were caught using any foreign copper coinage to pay for any transaction, the money would be confiscated and you would be fined 10 bucks. Big deal, right? 10 bucks? Well, you would be wrong there. Back in 1793, $10 would put a pretty good hurting on you. As of the writing of this podcast, $10 is equivalent in today's money would be $310.13. You're probably thinking to yourself, eh, some months I might even spend a little more than that in coins. What the big deal? Not something to scoff at back then, for sure, especially when it is said that an average yearly earnings for a citizen of this country was only $65. This is all well and good, but who was the one pushing for the half cent? Thomas Jefferson. Well, kind of. A man by the name of Robert Morris, who called for the smaller face value piece in his coinage plan. Jefferson introduced what he called a more sensible decibel-based coinage plan, he stated that the financier supposes that the one one-hundredth of a dollar is not sufficiently small, where the poor are purchases of vendors. He went on to say that if it is not, make a smaller coin. It doesn't sound like he was reluctant to have the half cent in the initial copper portfolio, just something he possibly didn't think about when giving us his decimal-based system. He says, I have no doubt the time will come when a smaller coin will be called for. When it comes, let it be made. The Grand Committee of the Continental Congress pushed this recommendation in the report from May 1785. It took a little while for Congress to stew on this, a little over a year to be exact, and they decided that the cent and half cent were the way to go. There were some more important things going on at this time, something like the Constitutional Convention in 1787, remember that? Well, once the boys got their stuff together and passed the Constitution and founded the federal government, they brought up the topic once again. This time, Alexander Hamilton was raising the effort to introduce the half cent. He cited in his arguments that the poor needed something to, quote, procure necessaries cheap, end quote. The discussion continued to muster, which brings us back to the Mint Act of 1792, making it official. 
The half-cent wasn't so quick to be minted, though. National Archive documents show that on Monday, April 29, 1793, two gentlemen by the names of Thomas Flood and Daniel Gerard started casting well into the night. May 1st, they started rolling, annealing, and cleaning the copper strips to be used for the half-cents, and this process went into the middle of the following week. Not all the copper strips were ready before the next steps in the process took place. The excitement to get those out the door must have been great because two other men employees, William Ward and Matthias Summers, started milling the planchets for the half-cents. These guys were hard at it because by May 15th, all of the half-set planchets were ready to go. Now, mind you, this was super hard work. None of this fast-paced production environment that we have now. Everything that happened had to have been touched by the hands of these men, created by these men, and a handful of other labor-intensive machines and craftsmanship processes. Nobody knows for sure why there was a delay in the actual minting of the coins, but the planchets sat ready until July 19, 1793. On that day, 7,000 half-cents were coined. Production continued sporadically, and between July 23rd to July 25th, 24,934 more coins came into existence. In total for the first year of production, we cranked out 35,334. It is always exciting learning about the early start of our coinage, and this one's no different. There are many different designs of the half-cent, and all are considered scarce. The first design is the Liberty Cap head-facing left for the 1793-year minting. The designer is unknown, and the engraver is Henry Voigt. The next design, the Liberty Cap head-facing right, went from 1794 to 1797. The designer engraver was Robert Scott. The next design ran from 1800 to 1808 and was called the Drape Bust. Not 100% certain, though, however, the design is attributed to Gilbert Stewart and the engraver was Rob Scott. The next design had quite the run from 1809 to 1836. We call this the Classic Head, designed by John Reich. Following the Classic Head, we have the Braided Hair Half Scent, which graced us from 1840 to 1857 the last year of its production. Christian Gobrecht designed this one. As you can tell from the spaces between the designs, the half-cent was not continually minted throughout its years in circulation. From 1836 to 1848, the only ones that were produced were proof coins, and these were in very limited quantities. If you have the dough to put one of these collections together, there are some obvious notable rarities that are going to cost you. Mostly the original and restrike proof coins of 1831, 1836, 1840 to 48, and 1852. The coin has a range of diameters throughout its years of minting, ranging from 22 mm to 23.5 mm. They the key dates in the series are the 1793, the 1796 Snowpole, the 1802 over-zero reverse of 1800, and the 1831. Well, friends, it was great to have you back with me. I hope you enjoyed it, and I can't wait to have you along with me on the next episode of the Coin Club Podcast. <laughs> 
Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Coin Club Podcast. I had a great time with you and look forward to sharing with you on the next episode. Please follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at the Seven House Coins Currency Bullion and also on Instagram at the Coin Club Podcast. You can also go to my website, www.sevenhousecb.com and give me some feedback on this episode or some suggestions on what you would like to see on future episodes. As always, I'm grateful to all of you for your support and look forward to seeing you the next time on the Coin Club Podcast.